0: Thanks for tuning into the Life in the Front Office podcast. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And thanks to Suja Organic for their support. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Shuja Organic. Excited to be here with co-host Andy Dolich and our guest today in David Raymond, also known as the Philly Fanatic. Uh, David, welcome. Excited to talk to you about everything mascots because this has been a long time coming, first of all. Second of all, Andy loves logos, mascots, and I just, I'm going to sit back and, and probably not talk a whole lot and I'll let you two go at it.
1: Well, it's awesome to be here. I, you know, uh, I had no idea we were doing a podcast. Whenever Andy says, hey, Dave, can you, can you connect with me? I'm, I'm there. So uh, um, I've, he and I've developed a great relationship. We have so much positive uh, connections and connected tissue in this business, but, you know, Andy's one of those guys that has always uh, reached out a helping hand and, um, and really kind of lives and breathes what we've all learned about if we have a Blessed to be able to work in sports is that folks are like Andy are there to help you and 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 to be a, a good mentor and a good friend. So um when he well, thank Andy, you for
2: that. Me. You clearly got the check that I sent along with the three by five card that I wrote. So now you can move along and let's talk about you. The heck with me and Jake. um uh We always ask guests to tell us a little bit about their life and and what they've done along the way, and what they're doing today.
1: Well, I um, appreciate the opportunity. I, yeah, I, I grew up um, in a family where sports and competition was, uh, they weren't, it wasn't play, it wasn't games, it was oxygen. Um, so my dad, Tubby Raymond, is head football coach at the University of Delaware. He's in the College Football Hall of Fame, and I just grew up wanting to be him. And uh, when he recognized that I was uh, serious about wanting to be a coach, And he secretly understood that um, I was a kid who just wanted wanted to be liked and he thought well this is not a really good of a of a track for my son to follow so while he said he would help me he said hey look uh, I know the owners of the of the Philadelphia Phillies and we were big Phillies fans of course and my dad was also a big baseball fan and played baseball at Michigan and he said I'll I'll get you a, a summer job while you're still going to Delaware and uh, like a lot of us in this business, that how all started. And it was um, going to be a two-year internship until uh, Frank Sullivan, the director of promotions, called me a couple of years later before the start of the 78 season and said, hey, we need you to go to New York and get fitted for the costume. And I went, because I wasn't even expected to, to uh, get called back because it was supposed to be a two-year internship. And that was uh, the start of being with the Phillies for 17 years. And um, being the original best friend of the fanatic, or as my wife likes to say, the old guy. Um, and from there, I, I jumped into, um, had a little bit of an entrepreneurial sp- spirit. Uh, my brother, who was in business, helped me write a business plan, and I, I wanted to go out and help folks create their own fanatic. Um, and that business is still uh, alive and thriving today, and um, I built that business really on the backs of minor league baseball specifically, but minor league sports, and uh, I'm very fond of that environment and, and love meeting young people who are just getting started today. Um, and then I'm also, you know, this, this story that I have that earned, or that drives some earned media, that producers like to tell a funny, silly, wacky, furry story. Um, which they have done, but it, there's really something bigger for that, and what I'm doing now is talking to not only leadership in corporations, but to audiences that are looking for ways to improve themselves both at work and at home uh, through leveraging how valuable fun can be, um, and that truly is what I've loved doing is, is, is do a lot of keynote speaking around the country and, and even over in Europe a little bit. Um, and it's, it's really what I'm hoping to do in my retirement, you know, decide where I'm speaking and, and, and say to my wife, Sandy, hey, do you wanna to go to fill in the blank? And so, so that's my focus right now, but um, you know, just being able to be a, a part of the sports environment has, has been a true blessing in
2: some And as a fully paid acolyte to David and the Philly fanatic, we're always pushing books. You can look at the back of uh, the, the uh, video there those are our books uh, behind Jake. But uh, tell us just to, oh before we talk about the power of fun, um, you sort of glossed over a gentleman named Tubby Raymond. First of all, how many people are named Tubby that aren't Tubby? Secondly, uh, Football Hall of Fame enshrinee. Um, and Jake, uh, you, of course, know the nickname of the University of Delaware football team, right? Andy, you're the you're the king of nicknames. Oh, uh, so uh, hold that thought for a second. And uh, my brother, my older brother went to Hofstra, which is on Long Island. CW Post, pretty good football teams. But anytime they played Delaware, not good, not good at all, uh, at least for CW Post and Hofstra. So uh, the Raymond name is famous. I mean, really famous in football. So give us a give us a few on Tubby and and what he uh, created and what he was.
1: Well, for Jake and everybody out there that might not be great uh, University of Delaware football fans, we are we are the Fighting Blue Hens um, which, uh, if you've ever seen a, a, a real fighting blue hen, you, you understand the value of that, but most people like Howie Long, because Howie Long never was able to beat us when he was playing against us at Villanova. When he was in college, he calls the, the fighting, the fighting blue chickens. So, um, you know, he gets to,
2: yeah, sorry, us. Howie too bad,
1: but, um, well, you know, it, it's funny. So, so the, um, both my daughters now have graduated from the university of Delaware and, um, my dad's you know, our last name is on the field. It was dedicated uh, as Raymond Field. And when my dad uh, got that honor, he wanted to know if he'd be able to sell it when it became valuable. <laughs> uh, and I told my daughters, they go, they thought, oh, that's really cool. I said, well, you know, people are probably going to ask you why your name is on that field. So make sure that you you're able to tell them that story. But um, it just was, um, you know, the thing that I was most proud of and and, and dad uh, passed away. It'll be four years uh, this December which is amazing and um just all of his football players before then and and specific, and, and obviously at his memorial service and and virtually every week somebody calls me and says do you know what your dad did to me do you know what your dad said to me do you know what your dad did for me and it's always some great story on the on either the side of where he he really pissed me off you know I wasn't fond of him when I was playing for him but man oh man do I really value what he taught me. Or on the other hand, it's saying how much uh, they thought he was a god in their lives and, and it changed their lives. And I, I think I'm most proud of the fact that he really talked about his players with great appreciation with what they did after they left uh, Delaware, got off the football field. And, um, and then uh, uh, when, when Sports Illustrated uh, or ESPN was celebrating 150th anniversary of college football, they named the top 150 football coaches that were most influential uh, and the better, the best football coaches in the history of college football. And dad was number 25, which you, you would think I'd be excited about that. But then I started to look at 24 and, 25 <laughs> and like, What? And so I was getting on a plane after I read that, getting upset that, well, wait a minute. He should be in front of those coaches. Bear Bryant. Who's Bear Bryant?
2: Yeah. I mean, come on. I got Tubby Raymond in that.
1: Well, you know, it's little man's disease, Andy.
2: I, yeah, yeah. So um, let's let's segue from tubby to a mascot that was a little bit tubby how does one become one of the most iconic mascots in all of sport
1: well and i think you'll appreciate it some some brilliance some fearless brilliance behind uh, the belief that something that looked well if you were going to go if you never knew of the fanatic or never heard of it and you were a philadelphia sports fan and that somebody showed you a drawing and said this is going to be the Phillies new mascot. People would, you know, run in terror and say, look, we got to lock that person up there. That's just not a good idea, but Bill Giles and Frank Sullivan and any, and the Carpenter family just allowing it. I mean, Dave they, Montgomery. Yeah. all those. And David, David was, uh, was just, was in charge of the, the ticket office when I first started as an intern and th- these people, um, I mean, honestly, were, were, were fearless and brilliant. And they didn't care about failures. It, they, 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 figured out a way that, that to make their failures uh, more famous or more important than the things that were successes. So I was a young kid learning under that, you know, brilliance and looking back when I got out of the Phillies where, you know, this is the way the Phillies do it. This is how leadership handles, uh, uh, team building in, with the Phillies. And I just assumed everybody was like that. And it was a shock to get out of there and see how little.
2: The two the two examples that I used when I got to the A's was Disney and the Phillies, because I was lucky enough to be in Philadelphia. You need to have a thick skin, even if you're a fanatic in Philly in sports, right?
1: Yes, you do. Uh, I, so And Andy, it was, and that, that's what I, you know, I certainly enjoy your focus because you have been Uh, Many places where, you know, where I, you know, cut my teeth and and we tell all these great stories. But uh, the thing that I you know, so so the fanatic was a bad idea on paper, but I was a kid that wanted to keep this internship. And I and my dad had said to me quite prophetically, look, get this job in the summer, you know, give up your your lifeguard job, which was difficult for me being in college. That was a fun summer job. (laughs) And he said, uh, you'll never know who you meet or what might happen. And, Great way to
2: attract young women. Uh, lifeguard, Philly fanatic. Yeah,
1: yeah, okay. yeah. It's not. Yeah. Well, in the, as it turned out, you know, better <laughs> to be the fanatic in that regard. But I, I wasn't, I wasn't bright enough to see the, you know, the difference. Um, but I, so it, it started uh, thinking in most levels of the Phillies. This will probably, you know, be a two-week promotion that will be famous forever, famous for what we tried to do. Um, and, um, it just took off almost as quickly as Gritty did, but with no social media, uh, and, uh, people really took to it because the Phillies were bright enough to, to kind of sneak it out there and say, there was no pre-promotion. There was no big, uh, idea, no big birthday party. It was, it was just go out there. And, and as Bill said to me, when I realized that there was no plan, they just the costume fit me because I went to New York and got fitted for it. And he said, go out and have fun. You know, you can't, as long as it's G-rated fun, David, that, that was his, that was his only um, qualification was have fun uh, and make it G-rated fun. And and we're going to, we'll work together to support whatever it is that you want to do. And they just let me go. Um, and um, I apparently had uh, some skill sets that helped me do that well. And when Bill was asked many years later, why, why he, decided I would be the guy that would get in inside He said, well, David was kind of a smart ass in our meetings. And I'm like, wait a minute. I, I just remember being Tubby's son and, you know, friends of, of the carpenter family owners. And I, I didn't want to make any mistakes, but apparently uh, there was something that I did that impressed bill. Uh, I just think I was the one dumb enough to say yes. And the lowest man on the totem pole. Uh, and it, and I think because of that, it just it gave the opportunity for the fanatic to sneak up and surprise them. And then I was particularly good in costumes. And at the time, I had no idea why, um, you know, and much later due to a question of uh, a, a member of the media asked me about thinking if because my, my mom was deaf, w- didn't didn't I think that would help me with communicating? And I thought they were taking advantage uh, or leveraging a narrative that I felt uncomfortable talking about until I went and talked to my mom. Uh, and she said, oh yeah, yes. You know, I, I went deaf when you were three and all you had to do was get in front of me. Cause I have, I have to read your lips. And as a little kid from three years old, you, you were constantly trying to get in front of me, entertaining me at the same time to get my attention. And I think that was uh, a real revelation for me to realize, yeah, I do have some skill sets that made me good at this.
0: David, one, one interesting thought that comes to mind is there's, you know, so many mascots now, right? And one would argue that some of the mascots are just as big as the brand, the logo, a player on the field. Like when we talk about youth and, and to entertaining the youth and family fun, like the mascot is, although you don't know who's underneath, right, the, the costume, but the mascot is, you know, sometimes the 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 fun of what's going on at that event, at that game, and, you know, part of the promotion as a whole. So when you think about getting into being a mascot nowadays, like, how do you do that? What, like, what advice do you have for those who who sit there and go, I want to have fun. I want to be a mascot.
1: Well, I think I, th- that's the one thing I love doing is because you'll see, you know, young kids in today's world, there's kids going to high school looking to be the mascot instead of being uh, the, the young person who didn't have anything else to do and and uh, you know maybe wasn't accepted by uh, you know by a, a group of, of kids that they wanted to be involved with and now they're going to high school and college trying to get jobs as mascots because it has become not only a lucrative thing for sports marketing but and programming um, and learning all about event production you know music editing uh, uh, all, all kinds of um Video editing and social media, all of that stuff, performers are learning that. And and there's college environments where they're using it as part of their their business school inside of cheer. So I'm excited when young people are, are interested in this for sure. But if you look at it from a marketing perspective, Jake, this is what the Phillies did. They invested hundreds of thousands of dollars into an initiative that was designed to distract the customer from what they were selling that That's a pretty amazing way to look at what mascots are doing. Um, and because of the chicken in San Diego and because of the fanatic, uh, the business of of this uh, concept became familiar. Uh, like, oh, this is something that can help us sell. So what I try to get the young people to know is how how important their job is, because in many cases, the performer is kind of less valued in the beginning of the process, especially in the minor leagues. And I'll, I'll say, look, you're doing great work. You, There is no other initiative that a team can have where you can go entertain people and at the same time drive uh, important messaging that will help, you know, the customer invest more or buy more. That's what you're doing. Plus, you know, you're going and distracting people with fun and making them feel better. Uh, so I try to get the kids to understand the young performers to understand that They need to learn the business and see how valuable they can be if they're good at this. And then if they don't get a full-time job as a performer later on, because it's like going to the major leagues, it's hard to get those jobs, there's not many of them, you're learning great skill sets that can help you be a better marketer, promoter, event producer, um, so that I'm never worried about getting them excited about performing, even though I know the chances of them getting a full-time opportunity in the business are small, I'm confident they're learning great skills that are going to make them better in our business. Um, so I, I, I think to get started, they just have to be able to dance and move uh, comfortably and be comfortable uh, moving and 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 do and being silly in front of people. And and then they have to be physically prepared for the toughest physicality. I think in sports, uh, you show. Them, I don't care who it is that's whining and complaining about how tough their sport is physically. Nothing can be compared to throwing on, you know, a winter coat, put a bag over your head and run outside when it's 100 degrees uh, and high humidity. I mean, so physically prepared and then and really have the ability to move nonverbally, verbally movement and dance or nonverbal communication is so such a difficult skill to master and those are the things they have to do well.
2: And there's another part um, that we have in today's society, which is institutional knowledge, right? Many young people today, their institutional knowledge goes back a week and a half, maybe. <laughs> and when you started with the fanatic, um, you know, I'm I'm just thinking back. There's 122 teams in the Big Four sports. Add in you know 30 plus in MLS now. Uh, there was you. There was uh, Teddy in. Uh, San Diego, the chicken, what else was out there? I mean, that was really active on the field. I mean, you guys really were pioneers.
1: Well, and I appreciate that. There was, there was nothing uh, other than uh, the, what was the underpinnings of all of the success of this, of this genre was Al Schacht and uh, Max Packett. Uh, they were the ones that were ex- doing exactly what the fanatic does today what but with no costume. So so more like vaudevillian clown uh, concepts. Uh, Jake so you were- know
2: those two gentlemen. No but sounds like they're the next guests on the podcast. Uh, well they're long long yeah, like, long gone. Yeah. Um, but they were baseball clowns to a certain extent, having the power of fun in the 30s, 40s, 50s. Yeah. right, David? Yeah.
1: And yeah, and, and Al Schacht, he used to do some amazing physical things. He he could he would hang upside down like, you know, those the, the old uh, flip chairs that you see to help your back. And he would hang upside down and hit fungos like they'd pitch him hit He hit with a fungo bat. He would be in a Jeep. He'd throw up and hit a fungo ball and then he would drive the Jeep out to center field and catch the ball. He just hit a fungo. I mean, he, and, and Max was kind of his protege during that. And um, so they did all of this spontaneous and then designed entertainment while the game was playing, which was virtually unheard of. And it wasn't, there was a big gap in time from when they, although Max was still performing in the minor leagues when I started, but there's a big gap in time between then and when, you know, the, the chicken, uh, you know, came out of his egg in San Diego, uh, and it was, um, and I think what, what happened was there. you have these groundbreaking minds, you know, like, like Bill Giles, and,
2: uh, and Bill, and Bill Vec. let's not Bill. forget the great Bill Vec.
1: and and it was, and he just, the difference was, I think, with, with Bill, um, you know, he was the crazy, wacky promoter that was trying to do whatever they could to have somebody buy a ticket, but um, but what, what was realized with the chicken and the fanatic was ha- how much money it could drive just in brand alone. Uh, and that in the Phillies, when they moved to veteran stadium, Jake, they had, they went from, I guess it was probably 40,000 or so uh, at old Shibe Connie Mac park uh, to having to, in order to be sold out for a Phillies game then in veteran stadium it was 60,000 people. I mean, you know, we would have 25,000, 30,000 people come to the vet, which would make Citizen Bank Park look like it's almost full, and it would look empty. Uh, so, so Bill had, had the challenge in that in this new age of stadiums since, you know, uh, Cincinnati's ballpark was the start of those convertible stadiums, and they, um, you know, they had to find out ways to get grandmom, uh, women, and uh, uh, under that, up to that point, kind of forgotten Uh, segments of your fan base to come to fill out veteran stadium and the fanatic was just one of and kite man and many other things that that bill and frank sullivan uh came up with to to get people interested in just coming to the stadium for no other reason than just to see some of the craziness that was going on and and then they become baseball fans because they're there
2: yeah and it, it my head exploded which jake knows it does quite often when the word came down that Major League Baseball was contracting 160 minor league teams down to 120. And as we've talked, Jake and I have talked, uh, cause he's a baseball guy, he's multi-talented, but he's a baseball guy. You just destroyed 40 of the greatest fun laboratories in the history of sport for what? What, what were your thoughts when this came down?
1: They, that, it just, it drove, well, you know, because it's like family. Um, I'm, I'm looking at some of my friends, my family, you know, being out of work. Um, look, you, we've always said that when whatever was created or incubated in the minor leagues, and then it went to the major leagues, they say, oh, well, no, this is not minor league. This, this is our version of what they did. You know, I stole a
2: whole bunch of stuff and I will absolutely be proud of all the stuff I stole from the minor league.
1: And, and uh, which at some point we have to talk about uh, uh, WMEs. (laughs) I I went to one of your, I went to one of your talks and you, and you were talking about the t-shirt shooters that, how can we make that better? Well, let's, let's have one that shoots t-shirts
2: right a machine gun t-shirt gun
1: yes so so weapons of mass entertainment i (laughs) i I think that you know look i'll tell you another thing that one by the way david
0: andy's got another acronym just as he has nicknames and the wmes i haven't heard that one yet no you haven't
2: that's yeah weapons Weapons of mass mass entertainment entertainment. love it okay (laughs) part of the power of fun right david Part
1: it, of the was, power of the it was phenomenal, which Andy is, you know, but how the, how the
2: heck do you whack? Them? No, the answer is no. And the money that they saved was mouse meat.
1: It, it, yeah. That's well, the, I've never been, uh, I've never been uh, impressed with major league baseball's focus on youth. They, you know, look, they do it in, in, un, in cities and, in, uh, in developing baseball and programming for, uh, you know underserved communities they've always been great with that and then and they're very philanthropy. philanthropy is a big part of their brand i am not being critical of that it's like you need know, to go back to the baseball baseball bunch with bench and and the chicken that's the best youth um show that promoted baseball turned young kids into baseball fans in today's world uh you know thank goodness my son who's a gamer we we don't know who dylan is very often because we have to go into the basement and pull him away from the video game screen. But he's become this huge Phillies fan, and I obviously I think that's because of my background. and And I'm a parent in the house that's the steward of of the beauty of the of this game, regardless of what's happening to it. But they, I think they got to go back and create those types of shows. and Look, look at what Nickelodeon's doing for uh, the NFL, um, and the NFL is allowing that to happen. and And baseball seems to always want to you know hold you know, keep hold on to things that they own and not open it up enough. And, um, you know, and I'd love to see them really do more of that. And when you see what they did with, you know, with minor league baseball with, you know, it was mincemeat that they were saving. That's sometimes their focus is less on the development of young people who, who really baseball needs an infusion of something that's going to get a a gamer excited about it. Uh, I don't,
2: uh, Jake, just one more point before you jump in. I don't think there's any way that analytics and metrics can measure the power of fun? That's correct. That's there's
0: got to be a way. I mean, now with all of the analytics metrics, there's, I mean, probably a fun metric of some sort. You know, who's got the most fun in a ballpark? I, I mean, with AI, you can probably measure smiles now at this point, right?
1: Well, the, 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 yeah. So first <laughs> of all, you the understanding of positive psychology is important and that that's where you can get, you know, all of the science behind it, but it's funny. So, so I've been blessed with uh, all kinds of national media that would look at that, that are looking to stories and then find mine and say, oh, well, here's, here will be a good one to tell. So what happens in my business is earned media becomes a key performance indicator. In other words, it measures how much business I may get if I'm doing something. Well, earned media is that, but I can't, guarantee earned media i can't i mean yeah i could have a pr firm that was going to producers and trying to feed them the idea of the story um but i'm not a big company and that's that's not what i do so so it's hard to figure out how am i going to get earned media other than sit here and hope that a producer will will you know catch on the story i think it's like that with just like you said measuring smiles if you understand smiling is good for both people the people seeing it and and the person that's producing the smile that and and it's not only just emotionally; it's actually physically better for you. The science is clear on that. So, I, Jake, I think that's a wonderful concept. Maybe this is the three of us ought to get together and patent something to be able. Well, to. Well, I got
0: I up. got one more I got one more concept for you, David. Before we before we wrap up the episode, like I was fortunate enough at the at the Arizona Fall League was part of helping the the umpires who were just on the on the the cusp of making the big leagues as an umpire they had training camp they had this whole education session right they were down for kind of a testing in in the fall league of of different things that they wanted to do well you have that in the major leagues of course what about the mascots right is there a is there a mascot development camp is there a mascot like like how do you pick Philly Fanatics retiring. How do you pick the next Philly Fanatic? Well, you should have a bench strength of AAA mascots that are, you know, ready, ready for prime time. And I think, uh, again, it may exist. That could be my, you know, week and a half of institutional knowledge, Andy. But I think, uh, you know, there there's something there. And if you have 120 minor league teams, maybe, maybe there's something there.
1: Yeah, I think that's great. We, and I've been training, you know, Dave Raymond's mascot boot camp, and we also have asynchronous online training now because of COVID. Um, that is, that's considered uh, the best training out there. I mean, uh, that, and that's not me saying it, that's uh, the people that are taking it. And uh, I love that idea. That's a great idea because there are a lot of really talented people that, that we, that most of us don't know because they're, they're doing a great job in their small town. And everyone in the small town loves them, but there's not many people outside of that town that know them, and that's where I find them. I, you know, I'm I'm looking for talent all the time and trying to help them succeed. But that's a that's a wonderful idea.
2: So yeah. two quick ones when we're in the ninth inning, right, Jake? Uh, ninth inning, you know, to your point about the power of fun, but the power of smiling, it's pretty difficult to see somebody smile when they're doing that, right? And they're, you know, it's taken over our society. At games, people are not watching the game. And Andy's they're, talking about looking at your phone. they you know, they Yeah, I. Oh, sorry. Uh, I. I just, you know, I have a Zoom brain. Um, but the, you're, you're tied to your phone. How do you see your smile? Yeah. Um, impossible. And the the other point is. Of all the experiences that you've had inside the Fanatic, what are one or two of the most indelible moments of interaction that you've had with a fan that have stuck with you to this day?
1: Well, I I think, and this would be anybody that's been fortunate to be with a team that wins a world championship. So the the World Series parade in 1980 was amazing. Back then, we didn't really know how to clean the costume well. Uh, we didn't have multiple costumes. And Mr. Jaws had a place for me up in the front uh, a flatbed truck where all the players and their wives would be. And I said, no, Mr. Jaws, you do not want the fanatic there. <laughs> They're going to be, they'll, they'll all be holding their nose and people might be getting sick. So he put me in the back of the parade on a flatbed all by myself. So I got to see the, the wake, the human wake. Of uh, 500 to 700 thousand people following that parade all the way down to go to JFK Stadium, where they, you know, they had the, you know, the final celebration, and it was that was amazing to see. Uh, and there's a there's a hundred stories inside of that. We could do two podcasts just on things that happened during the World Series parade, while uh, the, to the fanatic and what the fanatic got to see. But I think for me, there's just no question about it that that, and this was multiple occasions where. The fanatic is being asked to go to a hospital room where when I'm walking in there and I understand what's happening in that hospital room, I'm going, number one, how am I going to be effective in this hospital room? And, um, you know, what What am I doing here? Um, and you walk in there and you you have, you know, tears of joy, but, uh, but hugs of gratitude and saying, listen, thank you very much, fanatic, for giving our son, our daughter, the best medicine that they could ever have and that and so just repeat that concept anywhere and everywhere you know i did i did attend many, at the request of the family many funerals um i had ethel kennedy tell me she needed wow. me to come to her home and entertain the kennedys during a private function and i asked her why do you want me there i said well you we get together and play sports before dinner and by the time dinner comes around somebody's mad at somebody and you're coming to referee yeah. Yeah, Anonymous. come to Hickory
2: Hill and hang with the Kennedys. That's what everybody does, right?
1: And you know, the fanatic was in Camelot, keeping the Kennedys away from each other's throats. I, you know, it's it. You can't, including the Supreme Court justices' private chambers, on and on and on. And that is the basis of this understanding of the power of fun. Is that there is no place that an injection of uh, but engineered and designed fun to fit where you were going um, for it not to be incredibly successful. Um, and, and changing lives and and making people feel better when they have no possible imagination how they could feel better when they're and you you know you design in your mind what that moment might be but the fanatic would walk in and people are like oh it's a fanatic you know in the middle of a funeral it, it's so that that is the whole basis of the power of fun andy i i really do hope you enjoy the book because it's it's like telling your story um along with mine and And that is the biggest you know it's not silly wacky furry fun all the time
2: well we live in an age where there's many challenges every day in everybody's life and without some degree of humor fun and joy it can be a very long journey so jake is made a note that anytime sports gets way too serious, we're calling you and we'll continue this conversation. Is that a deal, Jake? 100%. 100%. Episode two and three are in the works, David.
0: And uh, we, we didn't even get to talk about the Mascot Hall of Fame, but that's another episode for another time. So uh, really appreciate your insights and perspectives uh, from
2: in and outside the suit. Um, and David, appreciate it.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you,
2: David. And Jake's going to win a bar bet tonight with fighting blue hands. No doubt you about will,
1: it. You will make some money on that. One.
0: Thanks for listening to the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And remember, if you like this episode or you like the Life in the Front Office podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Really appreciate you tuning in and stay tuned for the next one.